Ruchim Aboim Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Veis Hashem. Welcome to our weekly shear, Wednesday shear. <laughs> it's becoming a habit. The Wednesday morning or afternoon shear. Baruch Hashem, we have another major simcha tonight, very major simcha in the family. And we to this after many, many years. And therefore, the shear has to be done earlier. And unfortunately, the attendees that usually attend physically will not be able to be here today. But, anyone that needs it, that would like it sent video-wise, they can get video sent to them by email. Um, and, of course, the audio is on the site shear.us or on iTunes. Today, of course, we're dedicating to the Sinuchas and Kala of tonight, to Nasan and Menucha. And let's get into this year. Pashas Vayeshev. Teda is Lashon There is nothing more important in our daily life than Teda. And therefore, when we dedicate to Teda, the Parsha, Parsha like Vayeshev, so much to say and so much to talk about and so much to discuss. But yet, but yet, today's date is Yud Ches Kislev, tomorrow is Yud Tes Kislev. Yud Ches Kislev is my own personal family situation, the yard site of my grandmother, Shalom, Miriam Basib Yasef, Shamish Havan Aliyah. And she's definitely being a good better for the entire Mishpacha. This is just what she would do. This is what it was all about in her life. We've told many stories about her. Uh, in Siberia, the freezing Siberia, we're going to get food, the dogs licking her hands. Of the birth of my father, the Ayin Hara. Of the Rashag, the Rebbe's brother-in-law calling her and asking her for money for the yeshiva that she used to raise money for as the ladies' auxiliary. And in those days, numbers were different, but she was able to secure immediately within an hour or two, ten thousand dollars. Back in 71... And this is dollars that she collected dollar by dollar. Hand over fist. With great devotion and dedication to the yeshiva. A devotion and dedication which was to her children, to her generations, and to all those that would ever study in Taim Chitmim. Not to minimize not in any which way, form or fashion, to say that Yudches Kislev is not a very, very important day, being that an Neshama on its yard site goes up yet higher. And that's why we say, L'chaim, the Neshama should have an Aliyah. 
And Aliyah means that it's going to rise even higher in the, above in the heavens. We don't understand exactly how the Shamas go higher. We understand they're in Ganadin. If they're in Ganadin, where do they go up from there? What's up from there? And yet, on this day, Yud Ches Kislev, we say the Chaim, Miriam Basabiyasim, Shevan Hashem, Shevan Aliyah. She should be a good to better for her family, for her children, grandchildren, great and great great grandchildren. We'd like to give a shout out to the Majeskis in the Poconos, another great great grandchild that was able to have a little baby girl this morning. She should have a lot of, they should have a lot of nachas. To my brother, the grandparents, my sister-in-law of this baby, may they see maybe Zeichet to dance at her wedding, isn't they? With Freyla Chaherza. But think and say as you want, Yudchaskis leave. The birth of a baby, a wedding after so many years, all so precious, all so special. But tonight is Yud Tes Kislev Rabbi Sai. Yudtes Kislev Reish Hashona Lachasidus. The Alter Rebbe's devotion and dedication to see to it that Chasidus would live for generations on. A concept which basically up until the Baal Shem HaKadosh was not a very popular one. Because the generations were of such a different magnitude, such a different level. But the Baal Shem HaKadosh saw that the world was in dire need of the Kedusha, of the holiness. And therefore, saw to it to introduce the Hasidus into the world, which was ultimately disseminated by his Talmud, the Mazritche Magid, and his Chavraya Kadisha, who brought on to further generations, and of the heads of the Chavraya Kadisha, Rabshnei Zalman Liadi, the Alter Rebbe. On Yutes Kislev, we begin the new cycle of our annual cycle of learning of Tanya Kadisha, which obviously is going to tell you, Mazel Tov, on Yudches Kislev, we finish the cycle of Tanya. And as we complete the cycle of Tanya, and we hear the Rebbe's words, Givald, Givald Ad Mosai, and the Rebbe begging and pleading to the children of Claudius Yisrael to understand how to daven. Nothing of major magnitude here. Nothing of a great discovery. Nothing telling you to dig ditches or to move mountains. To daven. And if the person davening for the Amid is not davening properly, he shouldn't daven. He should say word for word. We should hear the words out loud as he says them. 
And the Alter Rebbe asks even for a certain amount of time it should take to daven. The Baal Asik, that working man, <laughs> someone told me recently a story of a fellow they used to have, a, I don't know what he had, a grocery or whatever it was, he had to be open very early, he had to be at work very early. And each day though he would be in shul, and sometimes though this manam in shul have to start a little later, you can't start the regular time. So after Asher Valetian, where you say the third time, Kaddish, 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 came to Shish Yim, he was already taking off his film. Parabayan Tams, whatever he was doing, he was taking off his film in Shish this man did this for decades. The Ebishter helped and he retired. He retired. He no longer had to go to work. But you know something? He came to that same minion every morning and re- continued taking off his film by Shishalyim. I guess old habits don't die. <coughs> Excuse me. Davening in yeshiva as a bacher, we were told until you finish Tehillim, you cannot take off your tefillin. Which means the entire davening, and after Aleinu, many Chabad, and many people have the minig as well, is to say Tehillim, the recitation of Tehillim, the book of Davra Melech Psalms, of which is divided up into 30 parts for 30 days of the month. On the month that there's only 29 days in the Hebrew calendar, the 29th day we say 29 and 30. Don't worry, chapter 119 is divided in two. It's two days, Chafhei and Chavav Lachedish, 25th and 26th of the month. So you don't have to say it all in one shot. Um, but the Atrebbe speaks about that as well. To go through Kufiyotes, chapter 119, minimum once a week. And Ashrechim, for those who say it once a day. To say the entire Kufiyotes. If you say it every day, properly, Eventually, it doesn't take you more than six, five, six minutes maximum. And for those of you that say five, six minutes is a lot of time, I would like you to give me your hours of your day, minute by minute. And we'll count how many five, six minutes you waste on your smartphone, on a game on Facebook, on social media of any other sorts, the millions of types. Show me how many five, six minutes you waste. So to say the Kufya test on a daily basis might be a better idea. The Atreb also writes in the last part of Tanya, in the today's portion of Tanya, about learning a Masechta. The Al-Tarebbe asks that every minion, in other words, in those days, obviously the shuls had 20, 30 people davening, every minion should divide up the entire shas for the year. That in the course of the year, the entire Talmud should be studied. 
excuse me, each person should take on a Masechta, one tractate, and an entire year to study this tractate. Not today's day and age, people are going through tractates a year. In seven years, seven years and change, they're going through the entire Talmud by the study of Dafyomi. Dafyomi is an interesting concept. Nothing positive ever can be wiped away. Nothing positive should be pushed away. People that are studying Dafyomi call Hakavot to them. Shem should give them strength and understanding and intellect to continue doing so. The Rebbe was more adamant that we study time-wise, not material-wise. Don't say I'll learn one daf a day. I'll learn an hour. Dedicate kvias itim latera. Itim does not mean amount. Itim means time. To establish a certain amount of time a day that one should learn Teda. You can divide it. which is commendable. To divide it in the morning a little bit and the afternoon, the evening a little bit. I come home from work, I'm tired, I don't want to put a full hour into my learning. Two hours. For those of you that are not diligent studiers. So take 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. Find there are so many shiurim running around. In shuls, in, in houses, in, in the schools, whatever it might be. Find a shear and commit yourself to that shear. It is so much more beneficial than talking Lashon Hara. So much more beneficial than spewing hate. For those that Chas Shalom ever have that inclination, inkling to do so. For the few people, not talking about many, there's only a handful, maybe Chas Shalom, but even them, they didn't realize. So therefore, Klal Yisrael, Amich Kulam Tzadikim, Le'elam Yeshu Aretz, and this is therefore the reason because of our unity and our actus and our love for one another that we will ultimately be redeemed today. Find that shear that you will attend on a daily basis. There are shearim that are 20 minutes. There are shearim that are 10 minutes. And then it goes to Mincha or it goes to Maidav. Find that shear. Study that shear.
Okay, this is going to be a missing part on the audio now as well, because it didn't turn on that I thought it did. Um, not good. When people disturb them sheer, that's what happens. My apologies for the confusion of today's audio and video. It's just what Hashem wanted it to be. Yesef HaTzadik Abal HaChalimus The dreamer had his dreams repeated his dreams to his brothers didn't get great fanfare for it wasn't very successful in shall we say winning over the masses unfortunately but Nonetheless, he mentions these dreams to his brothers. idea of Yosef being the king over the brothers, over the family was something even the father questioned even the father said are you implying such a thing? Implying that you, that my wife, your mother and myself will come bow down to you? And in a little bit of essence, it was a little bit of sarcasm in there, obviously, because the fact that he was a little baffled. How could you say your mother is going to come bow down to you if your mother is no longer with us? Yutes Kislev also. The Al-Tarebiz Mesir's Nefesh was so tremendous. The abnegation, the dedication and devotion to his, not to his cause, but to his flock, something that's incomparable but he didn't look at consequences he undertook accepted and did I tell a story no hands and feet really to it of a rich man, a wealthy man had everything well he had everything he needed he thought he had money and money bought him everything he wanted and he 
He had everything except for one little thing called happiness. He just was not happy. And he went to search for happiness. And one day he found a wise man that told him, You want happiness? I'll tell you how to find happiness. Give charity. Share. And you will find that you make people happy. And that will automatically make you happy. That smile that you will get will give you the same smile. It sounded brilliant. He was so happy now. He has a solution. And he went out and he said, Give charity. That man over there, he looks poor. I bet you he's not. I have a feeling, as a matter of fact, that he's probably faking. Now this started to dig into his psyche. Where the Yetzirah got his tentacles into him. And if I give tzedakah, and I give charity to someone who doesn't really need it, it's worthless, it doesn't do the thing, it doesn't accomplish, and it's not really a mitzvah, so what will I have done? And therefore, I, I need to really find, and he went to hospitals. Maybe there, and he went to shelters, and he went, he could not, he decided he's going to find, I'm sorry, before that, he decided instead of finding the poverty-stricken, he wanted to find people that gave up hope. person that gave up hope on life, that would be a person that he can give. Well, the idea was amazing. amazing. Find somebody that gave up hope. So he started to go to hospitals and to shelter here and to there and to homeless shelters and everyone he asked the sick, the ill, the dying did you give up hope? And they would say no, there's no we don't give up hope so easily. And this is getting a little desperate. This is getting a little annoying, actually. And he was walking pretty devastated over the fact that nobody's giving up hope. He was pretty forlorn and forsaken. I won't find anybody that I can give charity, that I can share charity with, honestly. And he hears from the junkyard, the garbage dumps, he hears groaning and moaning. And he goes in and he sees on a pile of garbage, there's this man lying there with boils and and, and scars and marks all over him. 
And he says to the man, Tell me, sir, what is your plight, my friend? And the man says, Oi, oi, not enough. He said that he lost his family, he lost his children, he lost his house, he lost his business. That wasn't enough. And he was homeless. But now he was stricken with boils all over his body, the excruciating pain. Tell me. Got him. I got him. Tell me, he says. Have you given up hope? Man looks at him and says, Are you crazy? As long as I'm above the earth and the earth isn't on top of me, I don't give up hope. You want to know who gave up hope? Go to the cemetery. You'll find people that gave up hope there. Brilliant. Brilliant. A little off color. A little warped. But it's an idea. And he goes to that night, takes his shovel, takes a bag of money. Substantial amount. He chooses a random grave, he digs up the grave partially and he puts in the money and he says, Enjoy my friend. And he covers it up. gave to someone that literally has no hope great stuff well our hero unfortunately met the turn of a wheel of fortune and the wheel of fortune turned such a way that he found himself within a a while not going to say how long short time, long time he found himself devastated and destitute. (sighs) Pretty sad. A pretty sad state. What now? Go and turn, look where he can... He was pretty down on his luck. And one night, like a lightning bolt, it strikes him. I gave a substantial amount of money to that mister that gave up hope. That money was so much that he could put me back on my feet. That's it. That's my salvation. he had the very same shovel and the very same bag and he went to the cemetery to that very same grave he stood there waiting for a few moments just the thought the thought of the salvation the thought of being able to finally climb out of this miserable state that he is in And he decided 
to start digging. And he takes the first push of the shovel into the ground. And a second, and a third. And he's starting, the adrenaline is flowing. He's so excited. Suddenly he hears a voice. Stop what you're doing. How dare you? Put your hands up. Turn around slowly. This is the police. The police? Why would the police be walking around in the cemetery in the middle of the night? And, 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 Jack, he's petrified, he's mortified. The police! But, 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 officer, I can explain. He says, no, you'll explain it to the judge. And he carts the poor man off and puts him in jail. And a day, two, and three go by until he's put before the judge. And the officer is there to proudly testify. I caught this horrific scoundrel digging up a grave. He was probably looking for the riches. He was probably looking for the gold teeth. He even had a bag with him. Who knows how many graves he was going to dig up to get all those gold teeth and whatever else people might have been buried with. Anyway, the judge was looking at this man and says to him, Sir, really digging up graves? Is that not a little low? Is that not a little strange to do that? Well, the man started to cry. I said, Your Honor, honestly, I would never steal from a grave. I would never steal from a dead person, Chasashon. I. Well, Your Honor, you'll never understand. It's so hard for me to explain this. And he says, Go ahead, try. He says, Well, Your Honor, many years ago, I was very wealthy. 
And I, I was looking for happiness, for joy. And a wise man told me to give charity. And I couldn't find anyone that really needed charity. So I was so confused. Until I came to a cemetery. I came to a great a junkyard. And the junkyard I saw a man on a pile of garbage. And he gave me a very profound message as he suffered with boils and cried and mourned, moaned over the losses that he had suffered. He taught me a lifelong lesson. He taught me that hope, one can never lose hope as long as they're above the land, the earth, and not beneath the earth. If you want to find somebody that lost hope, go to the cemetery. So I took a large amount of money and I buried it in the cemetery. And I was so happy, I gave it to a hopeless person. The policeman was holding himself in from bursting out to laugh. It's court, you have to have reverence. <coughs> but the incredulous look that he had on his face, the people on the side, eyes were bugging out. Is this guy for real? Does he want someone to believe such a story? The judge turns to the officer and says, Let this man go. He is telling the truth. Your Honor, you believe that story? (laughs) The judge says, yes, I believe the story. I, at the time, was sitting on that pile of garbage. I told him, as long as I'm on top of the earth and not under the earth, there is hope. I also told him, to go bury his money in a grave, in a cemetery. That's where the hopeless people are. So yes, I believe. This is therefore a lesson of the Balachalimus, who understood that there is no such thing as losing hope, as losing faith although he was taken, beaten, thrown to a ditch, sold as a slave, he knew that everything has a mission. And so too the Alter Rebbe understood in the most severe conditions of Russia, of the communism that existed at the time, it was communism, whatever it was, the anti-Semitism, that was definitely labeled as such. And this is therefore their mission, to teach and to give and to instill hope to each and every 
person and each and every Jew. This week's Pasha, let us refocus now. Yaakov Avinu sat down to mourn the passing of his son Yosef. However, although his sons and his daughters, as the Pasuk says, came to give their condolences, he found no peace. Now, according to one opinion, the reason he found no peace is because Yosef was indeed alive. And being that he was indeed alive, you can't give condolences for a live person. And that's why the concept of shikha, of forgetting, which is there by every time a person, God forbid, passes away, didn't have its effect on him. But let us see how Rashi explains this. Rashi tells us that there are two opinions here. Because there's a little bit of a question. His sons and his daughters stood up. His children. Where's sons and daughters? And let's get a little more technical. Yaakov had 12 sons. Everybody knows the 12 sons. But he also only had one daughter, Dina. So, Benaisav, plural, doesn't make sense either. So Rashi understands that our Ben Chomish, the Mikra, is going to be very confused. What is the Benaisav doing here? And Rashi brings two opinions. Rabbi Yehuda Eimer, Rabbi Yehuda says, who are these Benaisav? The brothers were born with twin sisters. And according to Yehuda, that's who they married. Now, Nehemiah says, no. They were actually from Canaan. Elamahu v'chol benesav. Why does it mean benesav? Kalaisav, his daughter's-in-law. The daughter-in-law considered like a daughter. You have a father-in-law like Yaakov. It's possible. We all strive, though, as fathers-in-law, to make our daughters-in-law feel like daughters. percentage of success rate, I can't tell you. Why does the Pasuk not just say, even if you told me what Benesav means, all his children stood up to be given to condole him. Rather it says, sons and daughters. According to one explanation, we say this comes to divide the actual mourning of Jacob, of Yaakov. That ultimately, by they stopped. Even though Bonov, 
his sons came to be Menachem. And Ben Yisav, all his daughters came. Two types of condolences. It did not help. Not the condolences that his son offered, and not the condolences that his daughters offered. Fine. So we're telling us, Banav Ubn to give us the double lesson. We still have a doubt here. We still have something unclear. Sons have more of a impression. They make more of an impression than daughters do. In that case, after the sons were Menachem and their impact was failure, they were unsuccessful, then obviously the daughters won't be successful. So why did the daughters even try? That's therefore why we need these two, this double explanation. And why the whole, why the double explanation on the Chobanesav? What is the addition of the Benesav on the Banov? Sorry. According to Rabbi Yehuda, that the daughters were twins, girl twins that were born with a shavit. We find that how many daughters were there? Each shavit had twelve. Had each there were twelve shvatim, twelve boys. Each one had a twin sister. Is twelve. Dina was thirteen, and then Binyamin had two twin girls, two twin sisters. They were triplets. Hence, there are fourteen girls. Fourteen girls. So maybe the fourteen girls were more impressionable than the twelve boys. So although the 12 boys were not successful, maybe the 14 girls will be successful. Therefore, after the boys went the girls. According to Ibn Khemya, the other explanation that Ashi brings down, here the explanation was Kalaisov, his daughters-in-law. There is a certain Maila, a certain advantage that the Kalas, the daughters-in-law, have over the sons. The sons are very close to their father. They came, obviously they came to give condolences. Technically, the daughters-in-law, respectfully, 
bow out and say, my husband took care of it for me. It's their father. And therefore, they back out. Sakhtans the no. That they stepped forth and they said, we too are going to come give condolences. Although technically they should have ridden on their husband's coattails. But still in all they came and gave their condolences. But look back at what Yehuda says. He doesn't only say <coughs> that each Shevet was born with a twin sister. He also says they married. Why add that? According to Reb Nechemia, he adds, Shein Adam Nimna, Malik Redechasni Benei. A person doesn't hold himself back, calling his son-in-law son. But we're not talking about sons-in-law, we're talking about daughters-in-law. There's no proof that if a person calls his son-in-law son, that he calls his daughter-in-law daughter. We can answer this in, 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 in short form. Rashi has a question. Why the Pasuk doesn't say clearly that in addition to the children of Yaakov that came to him, also his daughters-in-law and sons-in-law came? Obviously they must have come. To this Rashi answers, according to Rabbi Yehuda, there were no daughters-in-law, there were daughters. According to Rabbi Nachman, Nechemia, sorry, that when it says daughters, it means the daughters-in-law. And therefore also, when it says sons-in-law, the same thing. Because the person calls his sons, sons-in-law son, and his daughters-in-law daughters. And so much more to talk about on the Pasha. <coughs> I'd like to turn a little focus to Yuteski slave. It's the time of Fabrengen, and Shanateva, Teres Achsidis, Limit Achsidis, The story of the day of Yitzhak Kislev, we know, is the day of the redemption of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe who wrote Tanya and Shulchan Aruch. And with this he was always recognized, the Bala Tanya, the Bala Shulchan Aruch. And with this, of course, he was able to spread Tehidah Sachsidis worldwide. No matter how many people were in the cities. This ultimately put a change in the Altarebbe himself, the way he related his talks, his memorum.
although before this imprisonment Although before the imprisonment, ridiculous. Okay. Although before the imprisonment, also the Alter was able to learn and to spread chassidus with no holes barred, nobody restricting him. Still in all, we see that Dafka, the Maimodim, and the Tatus that said after the imprisonment come with a much broader explanation. The Al-Tarebi used to say things in very, very short form. He could say a line, a sentence, and from this, the Chassidim would have to work and work and toil to figure out and to understand what the Al-Tarebi had said. And that's the famous line of the Al-Tarebi, Zimdaflebimitzayt. We have to live with the times, and nobody understood what it meant. They went to his brother, the son of the Alter Rebbe, the brother actually, and the, the, the brother explained that the Rebbe is referring to the Zman, the site that we have to live, live with, is the Parsha Shavua. That we have to live as we learn each day the Chumish of the day. Today, for example, Revit Chamishi and Parsha Vayeshev. We have to live with it. We learn the stories of Avram Avinu, what happened there. We have to live with Avram, we have to live with Yitzhak, we have to live with Yaakov, we have to live with Yosef now down in Mitzrayim. But now, after the imprisonment, Al Rebbe started to talk in much longer form- format. And all, not just those that had a vast knowledge of Chassidus for them to understand in the short format, but rather explained it at each and every point. And a simple explanation to it is, of course, first let's understand what kind of Meniyas Yikuvim could there have been on the Inyanev Teremitzas here in this world. What kind of obstacles? The actual, the actual obstacle of the imprisonment, the fifty-three days in prison, was because above there were these pre- these problems, and that's why ultimately, when the Alter was visited in his cell by the Vashem Hakadosh and the Magid, and they told him it's because he's spreading Chassidus. Worldwide, that's why he's being punished and put in prison. He said, so when I get out, should I stop? And they told him, no. You've started now, you have to do it all the way. You have to add even more. And therefore he involved himself, he continued his involvement in the teaching of Rosendei Raisa, the secrets, in a format of great, great, of expounding on great thoughts, on great deep thoughts. So obviously, the physical world is going to try to hold back and to bar and to not allow 
such great magnitude into the world. But this is all before the imprisonment. Once the imprisonment was over, and above in heaven, the whole shakla vetariya, the whole negotiations about whether or not the world should be exposed to the chsidus was over, and it was agreed upon that yes, it is time for the world, and the world needs the lima the chsidus. Then thereafter, Al-Tareb was able to talk openly and freely. As the, the Ariyah Kodesh said himself, that is Al-Chai, that it needs to be taught that everyone should be able to learn it. And by that way, it, it nullifies any kind of restrictions, any kind of restraint. And this happened and took place after the imprisonment. I would like to say again, I have no idea at what point we are in our hour. I'd like to just give one more point about this week's Parsha. Yaakov sends Yosef on a shlichus. Yosef, he tells him, go see what your brothers are up to. And he goes to visit his brothers in Shechem. And the Tater tells us that on the way, he meets a person. And we know that in essence it was not a person, it was Malach Gabriel. And he asks him, did you see my brothers? And he says to him, Nos umize, kishamaiti emrim They went from here, I heard they were going to Doison. And Rashi explains, according to the Medish Chazal, that this Malach was warning him, was trying to deter him from going. And he says to him, My dear child, it's not a good idea. They said, By this they hinted, they're going away, they're traveling away from their unity, from their oneness with their brother. The Malach meant to say they want to go and to make from you, terminate the dosis. They were losing all their morals. He was warning Yosef that they wanted to kill him. And Yasef was no fool. He understood the hint very well. But still in all, Yasef picks up and goes. <laughs> he went on Mesidus Nefesh to fulfill his father's wishes. Even though at any cost, which the cost, of course, would be here is life. How? How could he have done that? First of all, his father's commandment, let's go back to it exactly, the word for word verbatim, his father tells him, go see how your brothers are faring, and come back to me and tell it to me. If your brothers are going to kill you, you can't come back and tell me. 
So you're not completing your mission. What was Yasef's understanding? What was his train of thought? What was he thinking that he thought that he would be allowed to be made senefish? For kibidav. For respect, honoring your father, there's no such thing. There's only three mitzvahs, Yarek Val Yavir. If you keep your score at home, Gimara in Avedis Atesis and Avedis Zara, Chavzayin Amad Beis, Divre Maschal Yochel. Three things. Avedis Zara, Girarayas, Ashvich Azdam. That at least the Tater says, Yarek Val Yavir. So, what right did he have to say that Kibidav also falls into the category that I have to kill myself for it? <laughs> the Ramam writes, Even the mitzvah that says Yarek Val Yaver, Yav, excuse me, Yaver Val Yaharek, that you have to do the Aveda Rachman Alatzlan and not get killed for them. If a person is an Adam Godl, if the person is a very big, respectable person, person is a very respectable person a chosid and he sees that the generation would suffer if they saw that he did this sin he's allowed to kill himself for it in order that the nation should see To teach people a lesson. To show people. This is a thing called Maris Ayin. Many things that we can't do if other people will see it and think that they can do it also even though it was something we did it for a different reason. And the same in our concept here, Yasef saw that his brothers were not keeping what they really should, the respect for their father. They destroyed Shem, Shem and Levi did, against Yaakov's wishes. They hated Yasef against Yaakov's wishes. And therefore, here he had a mitzvah to be Mesa Nefesh and to show everybody Father said something, I need to respect him, and you too need to respect him, even at any cost, which is my case, cost of my life. So we find also when it comes to Hanukkah, which starts next week, 
the situation of that day. Matasio and his children had no reason to sacrifice their lives. To go to war, that this small army had to undertake to kill this large army. The weak against the, the, the strong. But they did it, they did it in order to glorify God's name, that God's name should not be dragged through the mud here, as they were trying to do. The Ivanim, sorry. And therefore the Hashemunayim stood up to that. To show that the Ivanim don't have a right to desecrate God's name. So in the schools of this Mesidus Nefesh, they had the miracle of the Pach Shem and Toher, that one pure oil flask, sealed with the seal of the Kayan Godel, which this is the ultimate point of Judaism. There is nothing impure in that, va- in that flask. To light the Meneda, which lit and burnt for eight days, and to establish for generations the days of Hanukkah, the Hades, the Halal, the Shimcha, Hagodel, and as we may merit, this very Shabbat will be in Yerushalayim, Yerakedesh, and Mashiach, Tzadkenu, and in Yetz Hashem, next week Hanukkah, and we'll see the Meneda lit in the Beis HaMikdash, in Yerushalayim, Shabbat Shalom to all.